Good morning. As you've already heard, my name, my name is Matt, Matthew. When he says Matthew, it sounds like I'm being told off by my mum. So, Matthew. <laughs> I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee Church. <clears throat> and I'm continuing uh, in our preaching series, Light or Dark, Your Move. And I'm going to be looking... At the, uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. But before we do that, just cast our minds back to the Christmas time and the series we did, which was called Good News in Troubled Times. And Dave would play us those little clips of Handel's Messiah, so we get a bit cultured. <laughs> and where the words of the song lyrics came straight from the scripture, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we recognise today what an amazing anointing Isaiah had. And that God would show him extraordinary things about the future. And with such incredible detail, God used Isaiah to show us that Jesus is the true Messiah. We get that revelation of the truth of Jesus Christ and we see that Isaiah wrote matches the Gospels and the experiences that Christ went through. It's incredible. But the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, God speaks to Isaiah through a vision. We had a vision earlier. Roz shared a vision that she had. Visions are part of the way that God likes to communicate with his church. And from that vision, Isaiah had to report a particular difficult message to the king and the leaders of Israel. Now, historians date the time of Isaiah's writings at about 740 BC. And the people of Judah are going through a tough time. <clears throat> king Uzziah, he was the warrior king who was victorious in battles against their enemies, against the Philistines, against the Arabs and the Amorites. He was on the throne and he'd ruled for 52 years. He became a king when he was 16 years old and, and God favoured him. He was highly respected, a good leader, a good general, and his fame spread throughout the land. They knew about him in Egypt, that this Israelite king was, was a warrior king and had defeated his enemies. The sadness is, is that King Uzziah died, and he dies of leprosy. And what actually happened, he disobeyed God, and he'd done something he shouldn't have done in the temple, and God struck him with leprosy. And he literally went from hero to zero. A huge fall from grace, and he lived his final days an isolated leper. And, and at this time, the Assyrian army are looking for war. They want to declare war on, on the people of, of uh, Israel at this time. And so naturally, they're afraid. Their warrior king is dead. They've got no leader. And there's saber-rattling going on. And they're really worried about their future. And they don't know what's going to happen. And so Isaiah responds by going to the temple courtyard to seek God in all this. 
And it's why he was in the temple that he saw a vision. And this chapter, which Robin's going to read for us in a minute, is all about that vision in the temple. Would you like to come forward, Robin? And uh, what we're going to do is, when he's finished, I'll endeavour to unpack it and understand what the prophet was saying there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined, and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So let's look at the text in more detail. In that first paragraph, verses 1, we see Isaiah's grand vision of God. And he is elevated and sat on a throne on the mercy seat. And his train and cloak fills the temple. And it's showing to Isaiah, yes, you've lost your earthly king. You've lost that king who was the bedrock and the, the foundation of your people. 
But the king, the creator of the universe, sits on the throne and is reigning in heaven. And as Isaiah is surrounded by these heavenly creatures that are shouting, holy, 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 the noise is so resonant that it shakes the temple. And these creatures, called seraphim, their name means burners, burners. And one commentator has said it's because they burn for love for God. They burn with joy and through their worship, They sing to one another in the recognition of his incredible holiness. And as Isaiah looks at this vision, something happens. He sees his own inadequacy. He sees that God is magnificent and he is so small. And he cries out, woe to me, for I am ruined. He's looking at himself and he recognises that he's nothing. I'm not worthy. He became completely aware of his sin and he's struck with shame in the face of such a mighty holy God. But he's not just crying out for himself, he's crying out on behalf of of his people, of the Israelite people. Because they all need to turn back to God. They all need to recognise who he is. And at that point, Isaiah sees the seraphim flying towards him thinking, that's it, I'm dead, that's it, it's all over. And so are the people of Israel. God's going to destroy Israel because we are disobedient, but something else happens. It says in verse 7, With it he touched my mouth and said, "This said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Well, he didn't see that coming, that's for sure. That was a game changer. That burning coal hasn't come to kill and destroy, but rather to purify and make whole. For him and his whole people to be forgiven for their sins. And only after that does Isaiah hear the voice of the Lord. God asks, asks, asks him, he says, who will go for us? Plural. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? Isaiah has now been cleansed and he's eager to serve the Lord. So he says, here I am, send me. The Lord tells Isaiah the message he wants his prophet to give to the people of Judah. And in verse 9, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. In other words... The Lord knows the people of Judah are too far gone into their sin and rebellion to receive Isaiah's warning about God's anger. But they can't say they were never warned. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn to be healed. This shows what the word of God can accomplish when it's received with open ears and eyes and with an open heart. And then Isaiah asked the Lord, for how long? How long have I got to keep giving this message to these stubborn people? <coughs> Excuse me. I'll put it another way with, you know, with hardened hearts. 
And the Lord tells him to continue to preach the, this message in verse 11. Until the city lies in ruins and without inhabitants, until the houses are left des deserted and the fields ruined and ravished until the Lord has sent everyone far away, the land is utterly forsaken and though a tenth remains in the land. The truth is, that Isaiah won't see that day come, but it does come. Oh yes, in 586 BC, the Babylonians came, attacked Jerusalem, and took the Israelites into exile, just as the prophecy had said. And they will lose their homes, and they will lose their city. They lost their temple, the place where they had access to God. They lost the Ark of the Covenant the places where they make sacrifice, the altar, the whole lot was taken away from them because of their disobedience. God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel. However, picking up in verse 13, but as the terebinth and oak... I just explained what that is. Oak trees, we know what they are. The terebinth is a type of tree that grew prolifically in that area, uh, in, the, in the Mediterranean and, and the Middle East. And it was a symbol of strength. And it's quite a spiritual tree. It, was a, it features quite a lot in the Bible. It's a, it's, a, it's a tree that they would have known very, very well. And it's a symbol of strength and might of God. These are cut down. They're no more. That might that they once knew has been destroyed. They're stumps. But uh, the, the, the prophecy said this in verse 13. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. In other words, out of all this doom and gloom and pain, there is the tiniest bit of hope that remains. The mighty trees have been cut down. All that is left is stump. But there will be a seed, a holy seed that remains. It's that seed that becomes the hope of the world. The seed that he's referring to is the Messiah. It's referring to Jesus coming and bringing salvation to the world. So let's recap. Isaiah has a vision of the holiness and sees him sat on the throne, ruling and reigning. You know, the holiness of God is sometimes seen as something a little bit whimsical in paintings and Renaissance cherubims and all this, you know, in trumpets and but when you're in the presence of God in that sort of situation, it's frightening. You're scared because you're seeing something so incredible, so mind-blowing. You know, even when they saw, you know, you think about uh, the, the shepherds and saw the angels. They were petrified. Whenever we see the presence of God represented, people are fearful. This is a scary time. There's nothing fluffy about it at all. So here he is witnessing something and he is petrified. And he sees his own sin and he sees the people's sin and becomes very afraid and believes there is no way out. They're doomed. But in the vision, the purifying fire touches Isaiah's mouth and he is made clean and clear and uh, swapped with this willing heart. Isaiah agrees to go and tell them what, they have, what has been revealed to him despite the hardness of their hearts and despite this there is hope because out of the destruction the seed in the stump Jesus is the answer and the rescuer 
Isaiah's vision in chapter 6 talks about a particular time in history that spanned about 100 years plus, And it describes God's judgment on the people and what will happen to them. But we see another message in there. And it points directly to the gospel. You see, God hasn't changed from those times, from those visions. He's the same today, yesterday and forever. And that vision of God on the throne is true today. And his train still fills the temple. He's still everywhere. And the heavenly hosts cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty today. A holy for each one of the, the Trinity. And in the vision, Isaiah's guilt is taken away. And his sin atoned for. There's a deep sense of shame and he was feeling before God as he looked at him on the mercy seat where he believed his only option was death and it was swapped and he received peace and now has a servant heart. And this points directly to the cross. In fact, it's confirmed in the book of John. John chapter 12, verse 41. It says this, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. You see, it's showing us that actually it was Jesus on that throne. And when the seraphim put the, put the, touched his lips, it was Christ's forgiveness that he was receiving. He didn't know that. He didn't know that's what was happening. He was just repeating that vision. But that's what he was seeing. He was seeing the forgiveness of God through Jesus, through the atonement of sins. Jesus took away our sins. He atoned for them. He paid the price. On the cross, he carried the sins of the world, and there he died and was placed in a tomb. But he didn't stay dead, and three days later, he rose from the ground. And the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. Jesus had conquered death. Jesus had conquered Satan. And the seed of the stump found a way forward to atone for your sins. For the cold to touch your lips and to purge you of your sins. That we can receive forgiveness and receive freely offered salvation. God asks us, who will go? He asked the question because he wants his people to willingly take up the job to spread the good news of Jesus. So what do you say in reply? Well, as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And despite the hardness of hearts, despite the difficulty, Lord, still send me. Despite my fear of rejection, Lord, still send me. Despite my tongue getting tired and my lack of confidence, still send me. Um, I was watching, I was watching a movie on Friday night, uh, and you might have seen it actually. It's called Fury. Has anybody seen the, the war film Fury? No. Okay, well, I'll tell you then. It stars who? Yes, someone has. All right, a couple of you. Thank you. A couple of you. So it stars Brad Pitt, and uh, it's at the end of the Second World War. And the Allies have pushed the Germans through France and Belgium and uh, 
into Germany. And it's a really dangerous time because the Germans are going to make sure they keep their own country, they don't want to be taken over. And these Sherman tank commanders have whittled down in numbers to only a few. And they're fighting the might of the, of the German army. And uh, they get to a stage where they've been in numerous battles and they've whittled down to just one tank. And this tank is broken in the mud. And the track has come off and they think, oh, we'll just sit here for a while. But one of the guys, he spots an SS battalion. And this SS battalion, they're, they're 300 in numbers and they're coming towards them. And they've got a choice. They can run or they can stay. Well, one of these chaps who is amongst them, they nickname him Bible because he quotes scripture. And we get to learn that this guy is a Christian. And that he, he's often praying. And there's this real kind of conflict that goes on in the movie because he's saying, oh, you know, the Lord see us through that. And they're looking at the death and devastation because it's quite a gritty, nasty movie, to be honest with you. It's really quite gruesome. And they're looking at this death and devastation. And he's quoting scripture. And they're like, what are you talking about? Where is God in this? It can't be true. And there's a moment where they're about to face this battalion and they think, this is certain death. We're not going to get through this. We've got one tank and there's hundreds of them. We're just going to get butchered and mown down. But the, the leader, the Brad Pitt character, he won't abandon his post. He's going to stay there. And as they're sitting there, and it's like the calm before the storm, there's a peace inside this tank and they've kind of set up a scenario where hopefully they can survive and come out of this. But it's not looking good. And this character, Bible, in the quiet, he quotes scripture. And he quotes the very, um, hang on, bear with me a second. Yes, that very verse in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, said me. And he said it to encourage his fellow crew members that, you know what, we can push through, we can do this, we can be victorious. It doesn't matter what's coming over the hill. It doesn't matter what we're going to face because we are going to go because we're told to go. And suddenly the men suddenly get animated and they're going, yeah, you know, and they start getting, I, I haven't watched the end of the film actually, so I don't know how it finishes. I got to that before, that's good enough. So, <laughs> sorry? Uh, I'm going to watch it. Should, should, would, it be, would it be beneficial to the preach if we did know? <laughs> we'll leave it there then. Thanks, Dave. Probably, probably just as well I didn't see the end bit. Hmm. And of course, Isaiah says, For how long, Lord? And the Lord answers, Until the day of judgment. And that's how long we declare the good news. It's until the day of judgment. We don't stop, just as Isaiah was told not to. Isaiah got a commission from God. And we've got the great commission from Jesus. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says this, The risen Jesus had appeared to the disciples. And in verse 18, it says this, this Then Jesus came to them, and said, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, it's that picture of Jesus on the throne. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, as surely I'm always with you till the end of the age. Church, we have been told to step up and go. So here we are, Lord. Send us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Jubilee Church cries out, as Isaiah did, here I am, send me. Send me, Lord, to family, friends, neighbours, to colleagues. Send me, Lord, to strangers in the high street. Lord, we will keep doing that until you come again. Lord, help us, guide us and show us your will. Lord, purge our lips with hot coals so we may be purified. And despite the discomfort of what that must feel like, Lord, we know that through the change and through the growing, Father, we can be obedient to you and be in your will. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we'll have one more.